0: All right. 1 Kings 22. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher tonight. We don't want the words of the opinions of man that we know are a waste of time. We ask that the word of God will go forth with power. Give us attentive ears and willing hearts to receive all that you have for us. We again pray for Pastor Joshua as he ministers to the youth and those who are ministering to the children as well. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... So first Kings started off with King David. And King David is said in scripture to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was far from perfect. And then King Solomon came along, his son Solomon. And his son Solomon was a, a man who had a problem with the ladies. Can I get an amen to that? He had a thousand women. That's a few too many. Can I get an amen? And because of his own uh, disobedience, the kingdom was taken away from those who were coming after him. And that's when the kingdom was split in half. And so Israel was the northern ten kingdoms, and the southern two kingdoms were were known as Judah, and that's where Jerusalem is. And we saw over the last several months that every king in Israel after Solomon was evil, every single one of them. And some of the kings in Judah were godly, and many of them were evil as well. And then we got to King Ahab just a a few weeks ago, and it says that he is the most evil king that ever dwelt in Jerusalem. We're going to see. I'm going to give it away. He's going to die tonight in tonight's text. And he's a man who was the king of Israel. And it always blows me away. He's the king of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people, those same people who he delivered out of bondage in Egypt, the same people who he parted the Red Sea, the same people who God spoke from Mount Sinai and Moses came down and brought the Ten Commandments, the same people that feared entering the land the first time. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The same people that finally stepped out, crossed over the Jordan and God promised them victory in the land flowing with milk and honey. And now their king has fully rejected God. It's worshiping Baal, is married to Jezebel, who I keep telling you broke her name. No one uses that name anymore. That's how bad she was. And he's this ungodly, evil man ruling over God's people. But yet we saw two weeks ago that in spite of all of that, God gave him victory over Syria. God, in the midst of the evilness of the king, still blessed his chosen people. And that should be good for us to know that even if things aren't perfect all around us, even though those who may be leading us are far from perfect, God's still in control. He still loves you and he's still faithful. Can I get an amen to that? So in the last couple of weeks, we got to chapter 21 last week. We talked about the fact that nothing is hidden from God. And that we must obey God rather than man. And we find peace in the Prince of Peace. And we saw the consequences of sin keep us humble, broken, and desperate. And we saw that evil's victories are only temporary. And that nothing is hidden from God. And bad company corrupts good morals. And true repentance is more than temporary sorrow. And now we come to tonight's chapter in chapter 22. And by the way, when I do these outlines, let so you, know, these outlines are, are Applicational. If you've gone through inductive Bible study, we'll probably teach it again. Inductive Bible study, this is how I prepare to teach. When I would go to India, and teach a thousand pastors at a time how to teach. We use this method, and here's what it is. Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, how does it apply to your life? So when you hear that, you'll hear as I'm teaching through the text, I'll tell you what it says, then I'll tell you what it means, and then I'll try to apply it to your life. And so when I give outlines, these outlines are not they're not telling you what's happening in the text as much as the applications that are coming from the text. Does that make sense? So something you can take home with you and apply to your life. And so if you have the outline for 1 Kings 22, I title it unwavering faith, unwavering faith. And we're gonna see nine attributes of unwavering faith. First of all, it doesn't test God, it trusts God. Our faith should not be based on what we want God to do for us, but what he's already done for us. Can I get an amen to that? Here's what happens sometimes. People say, I'm mad at God. They find out I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm mad at God. I'm mad at God. Why are you mad at God? Well, I prayed for this and he didn't give it to me. So I'm mad. And you're like, Really, bro? (laughs) You were headed to hell and Jesus died on the cross for you. That should make you glad. Can I get an amen to that? But people will be mad at God based on the way that they expect God to perform. And I say, You don't want God, you want Santa Claus. Can I get an amen? And so the sad part is that that happens in the lives of Christians, where we will pray for something, God won't give us what we want, and then we'll be mad at God. Is God smarter than you? Does God know what's best for you more than you do? And does God look at everything through eternity? What's the answer? So guys, we need to learn to trust God. Don't test God. Don't, well, God, if you love me, you'll, no, he loves you who already proved it on the cross. Amen? Amen. So, we can't say, if you love me, you no, know, I proved that I loved you. God would say he died on the cross. Number two, unwavering faith seeks answers from the word, not from the world. We're going to see tonight that King Ahab's going to get counsel from 400 false prophets and one godly man. Now, whose counsel should he take? They're outnumbered 400 to 1. And guys, sometimes in the world, we hear all this counsel from the world and it outnumbers the counsel from God, but you plus God is a majority. Can I get amen to that? And hearing from the Lord is what matters. Number three, whatever the Lord says, that I will speak. That's an exact quote from one of the verses we'll see tonight. He says, the the prophet of God that's used by the Lord, the man of God who comes in against the 400 prophets of Asherah, more than likely, and it says to him, just go tell the king what he wants to hear, and his response is, "I'm going to say whatever God told me to say." And can I get an amen to that? Can you imagine if we just did that? If we just, if we only said and we only did what God told us to do, and we stopped listening to the world. Number four, unwavering faith proclaims the truth even when it's unpopular. Well, guess what? The truth is almost always unpopular. The truth, you know, what's, you know, what is right is rarely easy and what is easy is rarely right. And when you speak the truth and speak it in love, most people don't want to hear it because they don't want to live, they want to live their truth instead of the truth. Number five, unwavering faith does not waver in the midst of persecution. Faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And the way that we grow in our faith is through the trials of life. Number six, knows that the Lord is never far away. Aren't you glad to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Amen. And we're going to see in tonight's text that Jehoshaphat's just going to say, Lord, help, basically. Lord's around here somewhere. Cries out to God in the middle of a battlefield and God shows up. I'm so glad in the middle of the battlefield we can cry out to the Lord. He hears us and he shows up. Can I get an amen? Number seven. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We're going to see just some of the things accumulated by by Ahab. And how much did that matter the moment he closed his eyes on earth? I've done 200 plus memorial services. And, you know, I've yet to see a a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Can I get an amen? Because when you come into the world, naked you come, naked you leave. you leave You don't take anything with you. And the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? Number eight. Unwavering faith follows the godly examples of others. Who's discipling you? Who right now is, is pouring into your life? Who right now do you learn from? Who right now do you call when you need godly counsel? Who's discipling you? And then finally, is it godly example for others to follow? Unwavering faith. So who are you discipling? See, so we're all called to make disciples and we're all called to be discipled. So that means we should have people discipling us and other people that we disciple. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 1. By the way, it's 53 verses, so hold on to your hat. Can I get an amen? And here we go. First of all, unwavering faith doesn't test God, it trusts God. Look at verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. You'll remember that the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, had come to attack Israel and God brought Israel victory. And 127,000 of the, the soldiers of Syria died. But King Ahab did not kill the one person that he was instructed to kill, which was Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, instead, he, in his mind, showed him grace. That's going to come back to haunt him in tonight's chapter. Because what happened was, Ben-Hadad, when he knew that he was probably going to die, made a bunch of promises to Ahab. And one of the promises was, I'll give you back all the cities we've taken from you. And one of those cities was this city, Ramath. So Ramath, so he says, I'll give you all the cities back. Well, three years have gone by and now he hasn't given anything back. They're still waiting upon him to fulfill his promises. Have you ever noticed that when people are desperate, they'll promise anything? Amen. You've heard the illustration of the drowning man, his his ship sinks 25, yard, 25 miles offshore. And when he's 25 miles away, he's like, Lord, if you'll let me get to shore, I will be a full-time missionary. I will sell everything I have to serve you completely. I will surrender every part of my life. He gets about 15 miles out. Well, maybe I won't be a full, but, but Lord, I'll go to church every week. And I'll, be, I'll be there for the setup. He gets five miles out. And by the time he's, you know, hundred yards out, he forgot all the promises. So you're making promises because you're desperate. And Ben-Hadad made promises because he's desperate. These are not, that's not what godly men and women do. You let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? We're to be people of the word. Well, here's what happens. Ben-Hadad just goes back to his old pagan self. And now that he's free and now that he's away from Ahab, he does not fulfill the pledges and the promises that he had made. Now, Jehoshaphat, We just got introduced to him here. We're going to see more about him in verse 41. We'll see a lot more about him in uh, coming books of the Bible. But we've been looking at the kings of the north for a while. Well, Jehoshaphat had become the king down in Judah. So Jehoshaphat actually is the son of Asa. If you guys were here for Asa, Asa was a godly man, remember? He fired his own grandma because she wasn't godly enough. You guys remember that? So here he was. Asa was a godly man being used by the Lord. And this is his son, Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is a godly man. Now, one of the things, a mistake that he made, we'll see this at the end of the chapter, is to to bridge the relationship with Israel again, because Judah's in the south and Israel's in the north. He gave one of his children to be married to the child of Ahab and Jezebel. And so now they're Related to each other, which you, they, you would think would get rid of all war. And now Jehoshaphat, for whatever reason, is up in the north and he sees Ahab. And Ahab says in these verses, Hey, that city belongs to us. We need to go get it. Will you go with me? Have you ever noticed how Ahab never wants to fight his battles on his own? Every time we see him, he's trying to get someone to help him. That's not a leader. And that's not a man who has faith in God because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. And he's trying to get more people on his side so that he can have victory. So Ben and Dad has not been faithful to his promise. That city did belong to them. Um, If you guys were here, very few were here that far back. When we were going through the earlier parts of the Old Testament, when they encamped in the land of promise, there were three of the tribes or two and a half tribes that camped outside the land of promise. They didn't want to have to go in and face the giants, so they just stayed, you know, they we were happy to be almost where God wanted them to be, and that should never be the case with us. Well, one of these, Remath Gilead is a city that was in that section of, of, of land where those two and a half tribes had been before. So, so often promises are made to escape difficult circumstances, especially when someone's life is at stake. Benadad's life was at stake. He made promises he hadn't fulfilled them, and now it was time that Ahab wanted to go back and capture that city. So, point number number verse for number four, finishing point number one. So he said to Jehoshaphat, "Will you go with me to fight at Ramath Gilead?" And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, "I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses." that's music to Ahab's ears. I got someone that's going to go fight with me. I'm not going to go out on my own. And again, you only feel like you're going out on your own if you don't know the Lord. Because when you go out, the Lord is always with you if you have a relationship with him. So he's asking for help, Jehoshaphat, because now his families are intermarried. And again, Israel and Judah were all God's chosen people. And he says, I will go out and fight with you. So point number one, doesn't test God, trust God. Again, the testing of God in this case was being done by Ben Hadad. He had made that promise and then he was not following through with it. And again, we shouldn't base our our promises to God on what we want him to do for us, but what he's already done. Point number two, seeks answers from the word, not the world. Now watch this. I love this. Jehoshaphat, verse 5, said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Who does Ahab worship? He worships Baal. He worships Asheroth. He worships idols. And he says to him, Jehoshaphat says to him, let's talk to the Lord. Hey, we're going to go and fight this battle. Let's inquire of the Lord. I learned this from a pastor friend of mine years ago. I love to do this when I meet new people or when I know somebody at work that I don't know really well. Or I've done this at gas stations. I'm pumping gas, we start talking. I'll go, hey, by the way, can you pray for me, bro? Huh? <laughs> I don't know if they're saved or not, right? Hey, can you pray for me? Like, well, yeah, actually I'm headed up to do a conference right now with a bunch of guys who need the Lord. And hey, I'd love, why don't you come over here and pray for me? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> It starts conversations, I promise you. Or it gets them in their car driving away really quickly, right? But here's the point. I love how he's sitting in front of a pagan king who he knows is a pagan king, who he knows has rejected a true and living God, who he knows worships false idols and says, yeah, I'll go out and fight with you. Let's go ask the Lord what he thinks. Let's go inquire of the word of the Lord. Let's seek to get an answer from almighty God before we do anything. And as Christians, seeking God should be the first place we go, not the last resort. Amen? Sometimes people say to me, well, all I can do for you, pastor, is pray for you. That's all? Just communicate with the creator of the universe on my behalf? I'll take that. Can I get an amen? So Jehoshaphat, I love that he's got a boldness to ask, you know, his in-laws, if you will, who he knows, by the way, his wife had had all the prophets, as many of the prophets killed as she possibly could. So they're as evil and as godless as they come, and he still says, I want to inquire of the Lord. The word for Lord there is Yahweh. So it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the true and living God. You know, prayer is of no value if our prayers are not made to the one and true living God. See, he may pray, Ahab may pray, but he's praying to a dead God. He's praying to a God that doesn't exist. And so just because people pray doesn't mean that it has any value just like faith. Faith is only as good as the object you place your faith in, or the one you place your faith in. And prayer is only as good as the one you're praying to. Amen? And there's no other name under heaven that can hear our prayers. So then the king of Israel, verse 6, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramath Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of of the king. Now, what's crazy about this is we know when they, the prophets of Baal and Elijah battled, you guys remember that? And they, they cried out to God to see whose God would be God. And the 450 prophets of Baal marched around and they cried out and they wounded themselves and got no answer. And Elijah mocked their God. He's probably asleep. He's in the bathroom. You know, he's, you know, and so what happens is he prays, God lights up the altar And then the 450 prophets of Baal were all put to death. Now, we know from previous chapters that it said that they had 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets to Asheroth, which is another false god that Jezebel had brought with her from Tyre. She's from Tyre and Sidon. She had brought both Baal and Asheroth with her and they had set up altars to all these false gods and turned away from the true and living God. So I don't think it's a stretch at all to believe these 400 prophets are the ones they have left, and they're the prophets to Asheroth, which is an idol and a false god. But notice they're going to say, the Lord told us, you don't know what the Lord says because you don't know him. Can I get an amen? You got 400 people and they're saying, well, the Lord said, go on up and fight. This is getting counsel from a world that doesn't know God. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. We don't go to the world for answers because the world has no answers. Amen? And so we look to the Lord. Now watch. When these 400 say this, I love the response. I love the response of Jehoshaphat. Notice what he says here. They say, so they go up for the Lord will deliver it into your hand. Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? We got 400 guys here. I don't, none of these people know God. Do do we know anybody that knows God? Are there any left? Is there anybody left that we can have actually cry out to the true and living God? Can we find one person? I love Jehoshaphat. That we may inquire of him. He's talking about inquiring of the Lord through the prophet. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let the king say no such things. Say no no such things. Look, when you share the truth with people and they don't like the truth, they're not going to like you. Can I get an amen to that? And look, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. Now, if they don't like you because you're a jerk, that's you. That's me. Amen. But if they don't like us because we proclaim the truth of God's word, then they need to repent. Amen. Now, so I love Jehoshaphat. He's not He's not stepping back. And notice that he knows that they got one prophet of God left. Remember, Elijah said that he was the last. In, The Lord told him, I got 700 more just like you. Well, none of them are around here where they are. And so they have one guy, but Ahab hates him because he never gets the answer he wants. Again, here's the guy with the Holy Santa Claus in the sky. If I pray and God doesn't give me what I want, I don't like him because I want him to do what my will, not thy will, amen? So he says, there's one guy left. And, And what's interesting, we'll find out later in the text that he knows where the guy is, he's got him in prison. He's got him chained up in prison because he dares to tell the king things he doesn't want to hear. And guys, we need to not fall into the trap of being more worried about the world says than what the Lord says. Seeking answers from the word and not from the world. So then the king, verse nine, of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, having put on their robes, set on his throne, his throne at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate to Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So they would always make, do business at gates. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll see it. I mean, there's a gate from the time of Abraham that I've set in that gate. And so they have these gates at the city, and that's where all business took place. All political things took place. All judgment took place. The people would gather together at the city gate. The king would be uh, seated there and then he would make judgments or somebody that the king appointed to do it in his place. And so here, this is what happened. So they all gathered together at the gate in Samaria, which is the capital of, of Israel. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. Samaria is in the north and they're sitting in their thrones and up come the 400 prophets more likely the prophets of Asheroth, and they're going to give their opinion to the kings. And then they're going to drag this guy out of jail, bring him up to speak to the two kings. And now we're going to see how they respond. So Jehoshaphat is looking for a prophet from the Lord. He's not impressed by the 400 people that are there. And I love, we're going to hear from the heart of Micaiah, this one man who's kind of a lone ranger. And you know what? The verse hadn't been written yet, but here's what it says in 2 Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come where oh, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth to be turned aside to fables. Ahab did not like Micaiah because he did exactly what that verse says. He preached the truth. He didn't water it down. He said it with boldness. He was a man of God who shared the word of God and the power of God and did not care what the consequences may be. Ahab doesn't like him. Ahab drags him back up out of jail, up out of prison, brings him out. I can imagine him coming straight from prison. What a contrast. You got two guys in their robes on their thrones looking rico suave, right? You got some guys up there looking really good. And out comes some guy probably still in chains, drug out by a jailer, looking like a mess, got bedhead, you know what I mean? Comes out there and he's going to give them advice. See, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen. Here's this man, Micaiah, he gets called up. Now there's this one guy we got here. I hate that guy, but go get him. Now look at verse 11. So all the prophets prophesied before them. The 400 prophesied, and now it's going to be Micaiah's turn. Now Zedekiah, the son of Shana, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the people prophesied saying, go up to Ramath Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver you into the king's hand. Here's what's crazy. He comes out and he's, He's, you know, he's a charismatic speaker. He's one of the 400. And he's created these horns. And he like, puts these metal horns on his head. And he's running back and forth in front of the king saying, you're going to gore them. You're going to destroy them. And just because somebody's charismatic and has put together a, a good drama, doesn't mean it's good advice. Can I get an amen to that? Doesn't mean it's godly counsel. I'm shocked how often We'll vote for somebody who's void of contact because they're charismatic. Can I get an amen to that? We want content of the heart. Amen? We We want people of godly character. And it can even happen in churches where they want someone who's really charismatic and outgoing and can grab people's attention. They don't really care as much about the content of what's being taught. Can you hold a crowd? Can you entertain? This guy's a false prophet with props okay? He's a false prophet with a a puppet show. He's doing something that tries to make what he's doing sound like he knows what he's talking about. And so he gives this demand. You can, hear, you can almost hear the other 400 people shouting, right? The other 400 prophets cheering on this message that he's giving. There sit the two kings. There sits Ahab. Here sits Jehoshaphat. Here sits a man who loves God. Here's a man who's, a, who's an idol worshiper, and evil. And they look out and hear it. And all the 400 are cheering. And now they're dragging Micaiah up to hear from him. Look what it says there in verse 12, verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. He pulls him aside. Hey, the other 400 have already told him to go. So here's what you need to do. You just need to go up there and encourage the king and just say the same thing that everybody else has already said. It was a really good show. You missed it, man. The guy had horns and everything. It was pretty cool. You should have been here for the drama. You missed out. But here's what you need to do. Just tell him what those people already said. Just just make him feel good about the choice he's making. Guys, there's a tendency, even with Christians, to not want to confront ungodly behavior. Can I get an amen to that? To just let it go and to not confront people and to not... I was in counseling not long ago, and this happens often, and I just looked at a, a, a couple, and I said... Um, You guys are sleeping together. I know it, you know it, and God knows it, and you need to repent. Uh, And you know I love you, right? Uh, Guys, we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Can I get an amen to that? Does God already know the truth? Why are we hiding it? Let's be honest before God. Let's repent. Let's get right. Can I get an amen to that? And by the way, I've had that conversation with, and now and a lot of you going, I'm not doing couples counseling with that guy because <laughs> he might ask me that same question if we're blowing it. Now it would be easier for Micaiah just to say nothing, just to go up and not confront the truth, not proclaim the truth. Just go with any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen. And he does not do that. Now watch what he says. And I love this. This is underlined in my Bible says, let your word be as one of them and speak encouragement. courage. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Amen, amen, and amen. Can I get an amen to that? I don't care if there's 500,000 people on that side. I'm gonna say what God tells me to say. I'm gonna speak what God tells me to speak. I'm not gonna do what makes me popular with men. I'm gonna do what makes me faithful to God, amen? And here we have this, this man who already knows his life could be put to death at any time. He already knows what Ahab wants to hear, and he's going to only tell him what he wants to hear if God says that that's the truth. And guys, that should be our guideline for what we speak. Guys, verse three, uh, point number three there says, whatever the Lord says, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, or Micaiah, yeah, then he came to the king and said to the king, Micaiah shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead or shall we refrain? So Ahab asked him, and he already says, I hate this guy because he never gives me the answer I want. And now watch what happens. And at first you're going to be confused, but we'll, we'll fix it for you in just a moment. Now watch what he says. He says, he answered, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver into your hand, into the hand of the King. Yeah, do it, bro. You got wired. Go on up there. Now watch how the king responds. This will give us an idea of the tone in which the previous verse was said. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Obviously, it's dripping with sarcasm. He's like, tell me what, and he knows what he wants to hear. Yeah, yeah, bro. I'm just, oh yeah, go ahead. Go do what you're going to do. He's being totally sarcastic. He's absolutely mocking him in a way saying, yeah, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and go do that. But he knows based on the tone and the way that he's speaking, his response is, how many times have I told you that you're the only prophet of Yahweh we have around here? And I want to hear the truth of what you believe Yahweh wants me to do. Now, it's amazing how people care about the opinion of God when they don't even believe in God. Amen. I have people that approach me at work. Most of you guys know I have a full-time job. I've been in the same company 33 years. And the same people that will mock my faith behind my back will come and want prayer from me when someone in their family has cancer or when they're going through a difficult time. And a lot of times they just want to cover their bases. Well, who do I know that prays? I think that guy David. So they'll come ask me for prayer. And I'm like, so you want me to pray and talk to the God that you don't believe exists? I'm happy to do it because I know him and I can pray and I will pray for you, but I want you to give him the credit. If and when he chooses to heal your family member. Can I get an amen to that? To God alone be all the glory. So Micaiah comes out and he kind of mocks him a little bit. He's like, he's already been rotten in jail for the other times he told him what the truth was. And so now he just really confronts him and he's going to speak only what the Lord would have him speak. And he knows clearly from the tone that he is using that he is not telling him what he really believes. So he's getting angry. Ahab's angry. Ahab's not as quick to put have people put to death. His wife even more so. He wants the truth, but he really wants him to tell him sincerely to go fight the battle. So, point number four: there proclaims the truth, even when it's unpopular. So, the king said, "Tell me the truth." Then he said, "I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd." And the Lord said, "These have no master. Let each return." to his house in peace. Now, if you just read through that, you might miss it. He said, I have a vision that all the army of Israel is going to be scattered all over the mountains. Why? Because they don't have anybody leading them. Who's supposed to be leading them? So then what does that mean? Ahab's dead. Can I get an amen? So he's saying, here's the vision. Israel's on the mountains. They're all scattered all over because there's no one leading them. And basically, he's letting Ahab know, yeah, you go up there, you're gonna die. He's letting him know that this is what the Lord has shown him. Now, watch Ahab's response. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now, when you give people godly counsel and they don't like it, all of a sudden, you're evil. When you don't tell them what they want to hear, if you won't uh, bless the choices that they're making, the lifestyle that they're living, then all of a sudden you're evil and you're arrogant and you're a misogynist and you're a homophobe and you're, what, right? you're, you're all these things because you don't give them the answer they want to hear. And the Bible does say in the last days, well, they'll raise up for themselves, ear ticklers, people that tell people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And so it's important, and I will say this, a lot of pastors are pressured because they will have a church that has a, a big budget and including their livelihood, and they know if they speak with boldness, they might lose half the church. Here's the good news. I have a job. If you all leave, that's on you. Can I get an amen to that? I don't want anybody going anywhere. You know I love you all. Amen? But I'm far more, wor- I'm far more concerned about being faithful to God than popular with you. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? Everybody fall asleep on me. They're all going, yeah, we're out of here after this service. I'm out. <laughs> so I saw them all scattered, he said, like sheep without a shepherd. And the king said, did I not tell you? He would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Uh, let me, I, gee, I wonder why he would be prophesying evil. You turned your back on the true and living God and you're worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. You've built, you've built, uh, altars to false gods, and you've had the prophets of God put to death. I wonder why he would prophesy against you and your behavior. Verse 19. So Micaiah spoke the truth with boldness and without compromise. And Ahab knew in his heart that Micaiah would not fear or flatter him. He knew he was a man who would speak the truth. Maybe we'd be known as men and women who will speak the truth. Verse 19. And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall in Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke up in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Now this sounds confusing and there's a couple of ways of looking at this, but You know that we fight a spiritual battle, right? Can I get an amen to that? The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness and high places. I don't see the devil under every rock. And most of the time when I sin, it's not the devil's fault. It's just plain stinking me. Can I get an amen to that? So it's the world, the flesh and the devil, but the devil's real and the enemy's real. And the Bible does have examples of the enemy coming before the Lord. Remember when he came and said, consider my servant Job. Do you guys remember that? And there was that, that exchange that took place between the Lord and the devil, between God and the devil. Amen. And the devil said, well, yeah, he, he loves you because you, you know, he's, he's got everything perfect. And he said, you know, if I, if I could torment him, he would turn his back on you. And God says, well, then go ahead and torment. Him. you can do anything you want to him. You just can't kill him. So there's that spiritual thing that takes place. Now, many of the commentators say most of them believe that those that came up when he said, who will go for me and draw him away, that some of these might even be unfamiliar spirits who just as soon see it, they seek to steal, kill and destroy to see Ahab dead. I'll go tell him. I'll go tell him. I'll drag him up there if that's where he wants to go. So there's a, God desires, he's given him biblical counsel but he's also going to, for a man who's turned himself over, he's, a, he's basically a devil worshiper. You recognize when you worship false gods, you are not worshiping God. Who are you worshiping? And so he's given himself, he's put himself in this place. And, and now there's going to be those who come and try to draw him to go up to this place where they know that he will die. Both in Job 1.6 and Revelation 12.10, there's well-intentioned but mistaken teaching that God can only allow evil in His, cannot allow evil in His presence. He can't have sin in His presence, but He can allow and does allow fallen angels from time to time because we know that that's what it shows us in Scripture. So it says there in verse 22, the Lord said to him, in what way? I will go out, be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him also and also prevail. Go out and do so. This seems like, does this not seem awkward to anybody in the room right now? That God's allowing this person to go to convince the prophets to lie so that he'll go up and be killed? Now, it sounds that way until you recognize that Ahab is the most wicked man on the planet who's killing God's people, who's been killing the prophets of God. And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And he is a righteous judge. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't question his ways or his methods, but we trust in the sovereignty of God. We know that Satan is the father of lies. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And whether this is a prophet of God who lies, that's hard for me to imagine, an angel lying, or if it's the lying spirit of the enemy. Then it says in verse 24, the Lord Lord has a lying spirit, verse 23, therefore look, the Lord has put out a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So this is still Micaiah relaying to him what he has seen. And he says, these false prophets are lying to you. And if you go there, you're going to be destroyed. Satan's behind it. You're gonna die if you go. Micaiah is the only one telling him the truth. Micaiah is speaking it with boldness. He knows it could cost him everything, and Micaiah's got an eternal perspective. Look at verse twenty-five. verse 24. Now Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go to the inner chamber to hide. So now he's prophesying about Zedekiah saying, look, he's going to go up there and die. And you're going to remember this discussion when you're hiding out in the cave, scared to death for your life. Notice what happens when the man of God speaks the word of God with boldness. He gets hit in the mouth. See, sometimes we think if we're bold for the Lord, that if we honor God, then we're not going to face any persecution. Well, show me somebody in the Bible used mightily, and I will show you somebody who suffered greatly. Can I get an amen to that? Because guys, if we're doing it for the eternal This is but light affliction compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Amen? Any trial we go through in this life is nothing compared to eternity. And so here, Micaiah just continues to speak with great boldness. There would be a day when Zedekiah would be looking for a place to hide, like after the battle when the king is killed after following his advice. And then it says there in verse 26, so the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and save. Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. So here's what the king says. I'm going to show you that you're wrong and I'm right. Put him in prison and feed him enough, just enough to keep him alive. So when I go out and win this and I come back, I can say, I told you so. So basically he has Micaiah put into jail. He gives him just enough food and water to survive. He's been hit in the mouth for proclaiming the truth. And now the stubbornness of this evil and sinful man is mocking God and is going to set out to prove God wrong. Now, do we see that in the world today? Can I get an amen to that? You will talk to people and you'll show them what the word of God says. And in their arrogance and in their pride and in their self-righteousness, they will say, that book's wrong, I'm right. God's wrong, I'm right. I'm going to do what I want to do and I will show you that God is wrong. I've had that conversation more times than I can count. There's this arrogance, this self-righteousness. The Bible talks about people who've hardened their heart most toward God. There's a seared over conscience where the Holy Spirit conviction doesn't even reach them anymore. And they come into this place where they're going to prove God wrong in their arrogance. Let me tell you right now, God, 10 million, everyone else, zero. Can I get an amen? God is always right, We will never prove God wrong because he's never wrong. We'll either heed the word of God or we will walk in open rebellion against it. And we're living in a time right now, hey, all sin is sin. But if you think it's by chance that homosexuality uses the rainbow, why did God create the rainbow? The promise that he would not what? Flood the earth again as an act of judgment against the very sin that they use the flag for now one of the many sins. Can I get an amen to that? You know what that is? That's mocking God. Can I get an amen? That's a searing over of conscience saying, I'll, I'll prove to you, God, that you're wrong. We're going to take your rainbow. We're going to use it to, to prove that the way that we live is okay. And you know what? It's true of all sin. We like to pick on certain sins, but fornication, adultery, lying, gossip, you know, the sins that we commit and we can get into a place where we place the sin above the Lord. And guys, if you're spiritually mature, if you have unwavering faith, you're not going to be somebody who makes excuses for your sin. Your sin should be driving you to your knees to a place of brokenness, repentance before God. Can I get an amen? And if it doesn't, I'm concerned about where you are with the Lord. And so here we have this arrogance of King Ahab. Hey, by the way, Ahab, how'd that 450 prophets of Baal work out? How'd that go? He's all dead now. Uh, how much fire came down from the sky? We called on your God. Oh, nothing. We called him out when the true and living God, what happened? And we see over and over how God has shown up for Ahab and Ahab is still shaking his fist at God, believing he's right. And God is wrong. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before it's over. Can I get an amen? And we shouldn't delight in that. We should be praying for the people whose hearts are hard toward God. Now watch what happens. Then he says this. Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison. Verse 27. I just read it. Give him the bread of affliction water, until I come. Now watch about Micaiah. Now, when I read the Bible, I kind of run a movie in my head. I kind of see it happening in front of me. And I envi- here's what I envision. Look what it says. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed all you people. Here's what I imagine. He's being drugged away from the kings on their thrones and the 400 prophets and all the other audience that is there. And as he's being drugged away, he's yelling back at them. This is how I envision it. Hey, if you ever make it back, Lord wasn't talking to me. Oh, and hey, take heed all of you, right? As he's being drugged off into prison, he continues to preach. He continues to speak it with boldness. He's being drugged off where he's going to have water and bread until the king comes back. And he already knows, I'm seeing you again, bro. Because God showed me, you're going to die when you're there. You're wrong; God's right, and I'm standing for it. And you know what? Sometimes you feel like a voice crying out in the wilderness. But again, you plus God is a majority. King Ahab responded the way many tyrants do when they confronted with the truth. They want to imprison and silence the one who speaks the truth. You put him into prison, gave him just enough food to survive, and he's going to. I will prove him wrong when I come back in peace. I'm going to walk right in and tell him. I'll show him. And this is one of the tests of a true prophet. Does the thing he predicts actually come to pass? You know how many times you're wrong before you're a false prophet? What's the answer? Once. You're wrong once you're a false prophet. So he's proclaimed that if you go, when you go, you're going to die. I won't see you again if you come back then I wasn't hearing from the Lord. He's basically, if I don't, if you come back, then I'm a false prophet. So he continues to speak with boldness, both proclaiming the truth of what the Lord has spoken and warning all the people. Now, why is he yelling that out? Because he, he hopes that once the king dies, that they're going to remember this conversation. They're going to remember that it was prophesied that he was going to die. And he says, hey, the rest of you. Uh, hey, king, if you come back, I'm a false prophet. You ain't coming back, bro. You're done. But hey, the rest of you, take heed. Listen to what I'm telling you. Remember this. Not many days from now, you're gonna see who really fulfills his word. So, point number five there unwavering faith does not waver in the midst of persecution. Don't you love this? You may have never heard of this guy before tonight. I'd like to hang, I'd like to have a coke with this guy in heaven. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I want to hang out with this dude. Dude, you rock, man. I love that. I love your boldness. And you know what I love about it? Doesn't it minister to us today? He was faithful thousands of years ago, and God is still using his faithfulness to minister to Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley, thousands of years later. I love that. Next point knows that the Lord is never far away. Watch what happens here, beginning in verse 29. But Micaiah said, again, if you ever return in peace, take heed all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Now I'm not understanding why Jehoshaphat goes. Because Jehoshaphat is the one who asked to acquire of the Lord, he was there when the 400 prophets spoke and he was there when the men of God spoke and he heard the man of God say that to King Ahab, if you go up there, you're going to die. And Jehoshaphat goes with him. Now it could be that he's stupid or it could be that he believes that if he goes, God will spare him. I'm not sure which one it is. I hope it's, it's faith and not a stupidity. Can I get an Amen. Now watch what Ahab asks him to do though. This is just crazy. So Ahab in his pride and arrogance goes into battle to prove Micaiah wrong. The king says to Jehoshaphat, now look at verse 30. The king and the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So here's what he says. The biggest target on the battlefield is the king. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to disguise myself and you put all your king stuff on. And then we'll go out on the battlefield, and I'll be safe, and I'll kill you instead. I mean, Jehoshaphat, dude, are you paying attention? What in the world are you thinking here, bro? What are you doing? But he goes with him out into battle. I'll disguise myself. You Guess what? You can't hide from God. Can I get an amen to that? You cannot hide from God. You can disguise yourself all you want. You cannot hide from God. Look at verse 31. Now, the king of Syria commanded 32 captains of his chariot saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Um, I want you to go out there and the only guy I want you to kill is the king. Now, isn't this the same ben hadad that he just let go? Didn't Ahab show him some grace and let him go? when he's supposed to have killed him. Didn't he promise to give the cities back to Ahab? He doesn't do any of it. And now he says, yeah, when you go out there, just kill the guy, kill the the big guy wearing the king stuff. That's the guy I want. Let the small people go. The only one I want dead is the king. Now watch what happens. So it was, verse 32, when the captain of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, surely it is the king of Israel. And then therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now we know that when he cries out, we know from Second Chronicles it says this, it's a companion text. So it was the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it's the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack him. But he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. So here's what he did. He was he he put himself in a bad position he never should have been in. He's fighting a fight he should never fight, wearing clothes he shouldn't be wearing, protecting the guy he shouldn't be hanging out with. Can I get an amen? And have you ever noticed that's when you get in trouble? You're hanging out with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. Can I get an amen? And then we can't figure out why things went wrong. Can I get an amen? So here's what happens. He's there and he sees them all coming for him. And he's looking down. I'm dressed like a king. They're going to kill me. And he cries out to the Lord. It says in Second Chronicles. Lord, help. That's the abbreviated version of whatever he prayed. Amen. And he cries out. And when he cries out to the Lord, it says the Lord rescued him and diverted the people away from him. Guys, isn't it good to know that God is never far away? Amen. One of the names for for God is Abba. Abba means daddy, and Daddy is never, ever far away. Amen. So here he is, even though he put himself in the wrong spot. What the grace of God. You found yourself doing the wrong thing around the wrong people, surrounded by people doing the wrong thing, and you're in a bad situation. And you know what? If you say, Lord, help, he's still near. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is a faithful God. Now watch this. So he's dressed up like the king. Everybody spots him, and they run right at him. And God, as he cries out, diverts them and rescues him. Look at verse 34. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver in his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. So he's in a chariot. This guy just draws back and just fires his bow at random. And not only does it hit the king, but there's only a few spots between their armor where an arrow would fit. It finds that spot and gets right in there. And it's going to be the thing that kills him. See the The one guy is wide open. He's dressed up like the king. He's the biggest target for the world. God protects him. And the guy that thinks he's hiding from God has already said that I'm going to go back and prove that God's wrong. A guy shoots a random arrow and it sticks him. Guys, you cannot hide from God. Amen. And God is never wrong. And you will never prove God wrong. And you're never smarter than God. And you're never better than God. And King Ahab had to find that out the hard way. His time has come. Ahab is going to get the point. Can I get an amen? He gets the point. He's been mocking God for years. He's been shaking his fists at God. He's the king of Israel. He's not the king of the Philistines. He's not the king of the Edomites or the Moabites or any of God's enemies. He's the king of God's people and he's mocking God. And God is going to bring heavy consequences. I have to admit, probably because I'm a pastor, I often, when I read this chapter, I think of the the pastors who are false prophets, who are mocking God by the way they're getting over on people in the name of the Lord. And they seem to be getting away with it. And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Can I get an amen to that? And King Ahab seemed to be getting away with it. But he had so many warnings and so many opportunities to repent. Gee, I wonder who's right, Micaiah or Ahab. He said, if you go, you're going to die. And God gives him time. He doesn't die right away. So he's going to bleed out. It's going to take some time for it to happen. Do you think he might have been thinking, I guess I was wrong and Micaiah was right. I also believe that it could even be an opportunity, it doesn't We don't believe that it happens because it's not in Scripture. It was an opportunity, one last chance to repent. Can I get an amen to that? It's one more chance for you to recognize that the God you're mocking is the true and living God. And all these false prophets you've surrounded yourself with, that, all 400 of them that told you to go up here, how's that working out? And the one from the true and living God told you not to go. He told you this would happen. Our God indeed is the truth. Amen. Notice what it says in verse 35, the battle increased that day. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and he died at evening and the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of his chariot. He dies at the hand of Ben-Hadad, the man he should have put to death. Reminds me of Saul and Agag. You guys remember that? Saul and the Amalekites. They were supposed to put all the Amalekites to death and he held on to Agag, who was the king of the flesh. And he brought him back and he prayed him through town. He let a lot of the Amalekites live. Samuel comes out, puts Agag to death. And then you fast forward a few chapters and King Saul's out in battle. And who is it that puts him to death? An Amalekite. And what's amazing is the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. If we don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will destroy us. Can I get an amen? So here's the same thing. He was told by God to put Ben-Hadad to death. He is the king of the army that has been mocking God. He's the king of the army that's been attacking God's people, and he lets him go, and he thinks he's being gracious, and what he's done is he allowed someone to live that would end up being the one that would put him to death. It says in verse 37, or verse 36, and then as the sun was going down, a shout went out from the army, every man to his city, and every man to his own country. Where did we hear that before? Who was paying attention a little bit ago? Micaiah said, I had a vision and they're all up in the mountains and, and they're all scattered and they're going to send everybody home. Everybody go home. And that's exactly what happens. Word for word, verbatim, what he said would happen. Because guys, our God is an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Amen. Isn't it good to know that he knows what's coming tomorrow? By the way, Israel, been a little radical in Israel the last couple of days. You guys paying attention? And they're blaming Israel because they they fire a thousand bombs at them, and how dare they fire back? And I'm pro Israel because God's pro Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And by the way, Israel's not going anywhere until the Lord comes back. Can I get an amen to that? So God is for them, and their military is gnarly. Do you see how many, do you see how many bombs they block, how they block? Who gave them the, who gave them the knowledge to know how to do that? Can I get an amen? See, God is a God who's sovereign and in control, and praise God that we're not going to die one minute before God wants us to. We're going to die right on time, amen? And God is faithful, and there's peace in the sovereignty of God. Look what it says there. Every man to his own city. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked licked up his blood, while the harlots bathed according to the word which the Lord had spoken. Back in verse Kings 21, 19, it said that the dogs would lick up his blood. And he was actually shown some grace and given more time to live because he had feigned repentance for a while. And so here it is, prophecy being fulfilled, that when he dies, they would be licking up his blood. It's good to know that the Lord is never far away. And now verse seven, what is a prophet of man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. So now the the king is dead. Look what it says in verse 39. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah, Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So when we get to Chronicles, it'll list all the, the accomplishments of Ahab. And here it just gives us a short list. All these cities that he conquered, all these cities that he built, the ivory house that he built for himself, all these worldly riches, all these things the world would admire, and he's dead. What is the prophet of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Amen? He who dies with the most toys is dead. amen (laughs) they used to say he who dies with the most toys wins that was a bunker sticker back in the 80s and 90s and Ahab this man who had so much exposure to the truth who was the king of God's people and look I'm not blaming I'm not pointing other fingers but it all started downhill for him when he chose to marry Jezebel he chose to marry a woman who was an idolatress she brought the idol worship to Israel in a big way Baal worship for sure and then he turned away from the true and living God because he was more worried about this, being with this woman than he was being faithful to God. And that's what happens. Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Never put a relationship with a human being on this planet above a relationship with, with the Lord. Amen. And God always knows what's best for us. It's in his word. Trust him. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Notice Ahab rested with his father's. There was another prophecy fulfilled in the death of Ahab. It was the word from the the anonymous prophet back in chapter 20, two weeks ago. And he said, when Ahab spared Ben-Hadad's life, it would come at the expense of his own. You remember that? It's a direct quote. He said, because you have spared Ben-Hadad, it's going to come at the price of your own life. We fast forward two chapters and exactly what the prophet, the anonymous prophet, doesn't have his name, tells him comes true. So when God says something, it keeps happening. And when the world says that it doesn't happen. So guys, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. Seek the Lord. Trust his word. Let's finish up. We got two last points here. Um, An unwavering faith follows the godly example of others. Watch that we're going to be, get a little taste of Jehoshaphat. Not a lot, but we're going to get some of his accomplishments. It says, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, remember Asa was a godly man had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. So he and Ahab were kings right around the same time. They were both ruling around the same time. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shahal. It says, and he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away for the people offered sacrifice and burned incense in the high places. Now, it's amazing how many times we see this in First and Second Kings where they honor God, but they let the altars to the false gods stay. And there's still people worship. So they're godly in so many ways, but there's one area where they don't take the, the measures necessary. Now, You're going to think I've lost my mind, but but I tell my kids this and they're like, dad, you would not. If I was president, ready? Not in the constitution, I don't care. I would outlaw every other faith but Christianity. Tomorrow, burn all their buildings to the ground. That's not very nice. You know what's not very nice? Letting them go to hell without Jesus. How about that? Amen. This is why I'll never get a vote. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But the point I'm making is, that's what they were told to do. They had all these altars to all these other false gods. You got the true and living God. These are false gods. Burn it down. Amen. Elijah went in and kicked down the idols. And that, and that, that, that bothers our American blood. But, that, but tell, tell you what, God does it throughout the Bible all the time. Amen. Why? Because he hates those who try to draw his children away from him and into an eternity separated from him. Amen. How would you feel if someone was trying to take your kids away from you and draw them into a way place where they'll be in a place of torment and torture for all eternity? Uh, I don't think you'd be worried about being politically correct. Can I get an amen? And here's the exhortation is he's letting them know that he followed a godly example. But unfortunately, like all of us, he did fall short in one area and it was an area that they repeatedly fell short. It says, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, it said also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. That's Ahab. Then it says, Now the rest of the Acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, and how he made war, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Judah, of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the now, I'll give you some of the things he did in Chronicles, just to give you an idea. This guy was solid. We love Jehoshaphat. It says in 2 Chronicles from chapter 17 to 20. First, he set up traveling teachers who went through all the kingdom of Judah teaching God's word to people. He had missionaries that he sent out to preach the word to people throughout his kingdom. That's a good king. Can I get an amen? He came wealthy and had a great army due to God's blessing on him for his obedience. He set up judges to keep judges in the land, justice in all the land. He was faced with the armies of Moab, Amnon, and Edom. And instead of sending his army out, God told him he would take care of the battle. So Jehoshaphat sent out the worship leaders instead. He said, God said, we're going to win. Army dudes, go home and see your family. Worship team going out there. And they went out and sang praise songs and won the battle. Can I give an amen to that? That's a man who trusts God. Praise led the way. Amen? And they just praised the Lord. So next time we need to fight Afghanistan, we'll just send Tim and Tracy and a few other folks <laughs> over there. Let's take care of that. Amen? It says, there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. It says, the rest of the, now what? Look at verse 46. And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of the father Asa, he banished from the land. Again, this is not politically correct and people's heads would explode, but here's the reality. There were temple prostitutes and the perversion spoken of here is there were temple women that lied with women and men that lied with men. And it says, when he saw that, he removed all of them from the land. He deported them all, sent them all packing. He took out those who were prostituting themselves as an act of worship to a false God and removed them from the land. He closed down all the porn shops, right? He closed down all the strip clubs. He closed down all the bathhouses. He shut it all down. And see, we live in a world today where, like I said, people say, well, we have freedom. Yeah, we do. We have freedom to be stupid. Can I get an amen to that? And there needs to be, we need to stand up for the truth and say it's wrong. Well, you can't do that. You're, you're, you're homophobic. I'm xenophobic. Can I get an amen to that? Sin is wrong. It's tragic. And look, we pray for everyone to get saved. Can I get an amen to that? Do we love everybody? What's the answer? Do you want to see them all saved? What's the answer? We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? We're no better than anybody else. It's by the grace of God. There was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold. But they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Izan Gibir. Then Ahaziah, now that's the son of Ahab. The son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. Now, how did that work out when he hung out with Ahab last time? And how's it working out every time he listens to Ahab and goes in his direction? Notice, what, he's learning. Look what happens here. Hey, dude, you want to go hang out? Maybe we'll hit some strip clubs. We'll go do some, you know, we'll get lit up. You want to go Right? this modern day vernacular? Here's what he says. Yeah, no, nah, I'm out. He didn't say I'm out, but look what he says here. He says, but Jehoshaphat would not. Hey, come with me. Let's join together and let's go out. No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Bad company corrupts good morals. I'm not doing it. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Now we're going to find out that while Jehoshaphat was a great king and used mildly by God, he failed his son. We're going to see that his son does not follow in his dad's footpath. And one of the main reasons that his son becomes a wreck is he married this son to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And the same way that Ahab walked away from God following after Jezebel, so too Jehoshaphat's son's going to do the same thing. Look, I was the most overprotective father that's ever lived. My baby girl, you I mean, my, my son-in-law was alone with her the first time after they said I do, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm mean, Why? Because I wanted to protect her for the man God had for her. And I don't want her to settle for anything less than God's highest. And from the day each one of my kids were born, I'd go in and lay hands on them and pray for the person they're going to marry one day. And it's our job to protect them until the wedding day. Can I get an amen to that? Dad's walk. you walk down the aisle and take your daughter's hand out of your hand and put it in the man, because this is the man God has to take my place. Part of the problem today is we are so caught up in the world that we're more worried about our kids being happy than our kids being godly. Amen. And so the exhortation here is Jehoshaphat was a, a man used mildly by God, but sad how it ends. And lastly, last three verses. Haziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat. And he reigned for two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the way of his father. Now, that, there's nothing worse you can say than saying he walked in the way of his father, who was the most evil king who ever lived. That was Ahab. He walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, that's Jezebel, in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Isn't it interesting we see so many times that the kids follow the path of their dad? They follow the path of their mom and dad. So if their mom and dad are godly, the kids follow the godly path. Not always, but most of the time. And the same is true when the mom and dad are ungodly. They follow that path as well. What, who are we discipling? What kind of example are we setting for our children and grandchildren? Those of you who don't have kids yet, pray even now for your kids and pray that you'll set a Christ-like example and you will point them to the Lord and not drive them away from the Lord into sinful behavior. So often promises are made to escape these difficult circumstances that we saw early on in the text. And sadly, we see here at the end of the chapter, we went from King David to Ahab, to Ahab's son, who was as evil, almost as evil as his father. And boy, look what's happened to the kingdom as they walked further and further away from the Lord. And I would say this, look what's happening to our country as we get further and further away from the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for everyone's patience. We looked at a lot of verses tonight. Lord, I pray that we would take what we have learned in tonight's text and apply it to our own lives. Lord, help us to have unwavering faith. Help us not to test you, but to trust you. Help us, Lord, to seek answers from your word and not from the world. Help us, Lord, that no matter what you say, that's what we will speak, not what the world tells us to say. Help us, Lord, to proclaim the truth even when it's unpopular, Help us, Lord, to not waver in the midst of persecution, to count all joy in the midst of trials, knowing that you're a faithful God, you'll use it for your glory. Help us, Lord, to know that you're never far away, that we can always cry out to you, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we can take hundreds, thousands, million steps away from you, and it's only one step back. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be reminded, what does it profit us to gain everything the world has to offer and to lose everything our soul. And Lord, may we be godly examples to others. May we disciple others. And then Lord, at the same time, may we seek those to speak into our lives and to minister to us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said Amen.